Thank you for listening to In Good Faith, the Central Reformed Church Sermon Podcast. This episode's sermon is titled, Building Blocks for the Christian Life, Virtuous Life, and is based on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. It was delivered on Sunday, September 25th, 2022, by Pastor Steve Pierce. I invite you to turn to page 965 in your pew Bibles, or some of you may have this on your cell phones or tablets, that's fine too. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're looking at verses 6 through 19, and yes, today's sermon might have something to do with money, so brace yourself. The rubric here is false teaching and true riches. Listen now for the word of God. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. It seems the Apostle Paul in his later years was determined to focus on the power of contentment. For the Apostle, the secret of contentment was not some meditative practice or stoic mindset that generates a feeling of contentment. No, the secret of contentment was contentment itself. The reality of being content with Christ and his indwelling presence and empowerment in any and all circumstances. We know that because this is what he said to the Philippians. I know what it is to have little and I know what it is to have plenty in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being well fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. The apostle penned his first letter to Timothy after being released from a lengthy, unjust Roman imprisonment. His younger co-worker, Timothy, was in Ephesus trying to stave off any more destruction that the false teachers were seeking to do to the church. Theirs was a heretical teaching about the power of you and what you can accomplish, robbing God of God's glory. Timothy could be content with the indwelling presence and power of Christ in his life, just like Paul had been in Rome, or he could lose that contentment by taking his eyes off of his Savior, not just his eyes, but also his confidence. Contentment. Contentment is a state of being happy and fulfilled. It's also connected to the virtuous life. The two are inextricably linked. As Christians, contentment is is not pleasure, nor is it virtue. It is the exercise of virtue. And virtue is all about our character. What's going on in your heart that's connected to your mind. It's an act of conforming our lives to our principles. Not always easy, but certainly always rewarding. There's a story told of a pilot who always looked down on a particular area of the Appalachian Mountains when he would fly over that spot. And one day his co-pilot leaned into him and said, why is it that you always look down on this one area? And the other pilot said, well, you see that stream there? As a little boy, I used to sit on a log and fish. And every time a plane would pass over, I would look up and wish I were flying. Now I look down and wish I were fishing. It's always tempting to think that others have it better than we do. And that if we just had a little bit more, that would solve all of our problems. We just got the better job or more money the raise, but contentment cannot be achieved by acquiring more possessions. Nothing will ever be enough. In fact, uh, once in a while, I'll enjoy some Bazooka Joe bubblegum, and in Bazooka Joe bubblegum, there's a comic, and with the comic, there's a fortune, and two days ago, my fortune said this, you are heading towards a choice between money and happiness. 
This is a powerful reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's one that's not unfamiliar to us, but it is one that I think teaches us several valuable lessons about how we as Christians can become easily distracted and lose our focus on being content in and with Christ and exercising virtue. And the first way we become distracted should be obvious. And that is fixating on money. Fixating on money. Money in and of itself is not the problem. Some of you are financial advisors. Some of you have a gift of making money. It's your God-given gift. In fact, a few of you in this room have even told me, Steve, there's one thing about me in my life, and that is I do not lose money. That's your gift. As stewards, we're called to manage our possessions wisely as gifts from God. Money is a tool, a medium of exchange whereby we buy and we sell goods and services. We do need money. The problem comes when we lose control of our money and our money takes control of us. This is exactly why Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject in the New Testament, including the subjects of heaven or hell or the kingdom of God. He talked more about money and he, say, he would say things like this, you cannot serve both God and money. Earlier in his letter to Timothy in chapter 5, he tells the young pastor that Devoted church leaders, clergy, were worthy of being financially supported by their congregations. But what we learn is that there were false teachers and some of the church members were wealthy. And what we learn from the Greek translation is that they weren't just wealthy, they were obsessed with their riches. And these were the people who were making decisions for the church that were hurting the church, their decisions. And so... They were more devoted to their riches than to God. And this is why the apostle says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not just the root of a particular evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And then he says, in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Loving money more than God is one sure way to lose contentment with Christ. It's one sure way for us to cease to exercise virtue. Now we see this play out in the New Testament. And in the Gospels, Matthew's Gospel in particular, what happens? Jesus chooses 12 disciples. He's got Thaddeus, John, Andrew, etc. And he also chooses a man named Judas Iscariot. You know this name? Judas is the one responsible for collecting the money that will help fund Jesus' ministry. In fact, he's given a money box. He is the treasurer. And he's doing his job except he has a character flaw. He is siphoning off money for his own benefit. But that wasn't enough for Judas. He wanted more. And to get more... He saw his own rabbi as an opportunity. He calculated his every move. 
He watched him like a hawk, and he waited for just the right moment to strike, knowing how much the religious establishment hated him, but he also knew there was gain, gain to betray him. His weakness of greed for money made him nothing more than a puppet, susceptible to the devil's manipulation. So as the story goes, the devil fully entered Judas Iscariot. Whatever that looked like, we don't know, but I can assure you this, no one here wants that to happen to them. The devil enters into this man and he goes to the religious leaders and he says, this is what we're going to do and if I do it for you, I expect you to pay me. And they say, yes. They want Jesus gone, so they give him 30 pieces of silver. Somehow, Judas Iscariot never got the message that there's great gain in godliness combined with contentment. Instead, because of what he did, he inflicted himself himself with many pains because of his love, his fixation with money. And that's just one example of dozens in Scripture of people who have compromised their own character because of greed. What about us? How many of us in this room have either experienced this ourselves or we've seen someone go down this path, that path of destruction, step by step, they are walking in darkness and they're still there, taking their eyes and their confidence off of God and placing it on something temporary. So the, one, the first way to be distracted is fixating on money. The other way Christians are distracted from contentment in Christ is surrendering to the tyranny of the present. And I get this idea from a, an author named David Briscoe. And the idea of the tyranny of the present is when you you can only focus on the now. You can't look back and learn from the past and you certainly aren't looking forward as to what's going to happen or how you might better your life or better the world. And this is what he says. This is really good. He says the Christian life is no game, but sometimes we think about life in those terms. In this regard, we can imagine two approaches to life. One is a pinball approach and the second is is a chess approach. In the pinball approach, life is little more than being ricocheted from one event to another with little thought of direction or meaning. By contrast, the chess approach takes the long view about life, thinks strategically, and keeps the end goal in mind while dealing with day-to-day successes and setbacks. Notice that the Apostle Paul urges Timothy to not let ministry setbacks in Ephesus define his life and his work in that city. He exhorts his protege instead to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. These are qualities of the virtuous life, of eternal life, that may not seem flashy in the present, but will certainly endure both in this life and in the life to come. Christians can be content in all circumstances. 
plenty, plentiful times or painful times. We can be content because we have assurance of how it's all going to end. One day our Lord will come again and usher his church into victory of eternal life. But when we lose sight of that future victory, we are easily distracted, we lose our contentment, and we are no longer able to exercise virtue. So there's surrendering to the tyranny of the present. There's fixating on money, but there's also one other way that we're distracted. And the apostle spells it out for us. He says, it's when we turn inward and we shut out all concern for other people. He says this to Timothy. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. There's the building block. We've already covered mercy and prayer. Now we're talking about virtuous living. This is also a building block of the faith. And those who put their hope and their trust in God consider their wealth as a gift from God to be used to do good, to be good stewards, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to share. We cannot hoard these things. It's not really ours to begin with. It all belongs to God. And the more generous we are, the more in touch we are with Christ, who is our life, our very life. The more we turn inward, the more greedy we become, and the more others are ignored. But instead of great gain and godliness combined with contentment, those who hoard their riches pierce themselves with many pains. Theirs is not the virtuous life. There's an old Eastern fable that tells of a man who possessed a ring with a beautiful opal. And the ring bestowed upon the wearer qualities such as kindness, truthfulness, bravery, and justice. All the qualities to make a person much loved. The ring was passed from father to son until it happened that a man had three sons. Before his death, he had two copies of this ring made and he gave each of his sons a ring. Well, they were outraged. They were so disturbed, they weren't sure which was the real ring and which two were fakes. They took the matter to court and the judge looked at these boys and said, we will know who has the genuine ring by the goodness of his life. We can become distracted we can easily take our eyes off of Christ and think all hope is lost. But Christ takes hold of us because his life in us is the true life that we've longed for all this time 
It's really not about money and it's not about how much you have or how little you have. It's about who we are in Jesus Christ and how he is changing us every day into his image and likeness. It's about character. It's about trust. It's about exercising virtue. And those of us who exercise virtuous living are the ones who do good, are rich in good works, are generous, and are always ready to share. Believe this gospel and go forth to live in peace. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, all that we have and all that we are is from you. Only you can offer abundant life that is true life. From your abundance, we have all we need, for you have blessed us richly. And now help us to be content in any and all circumstances as we exercise virtue in the hope that we might see your kingdom at work among us. Oh God, we love you. Thank you for loving us more than we could ever imagine. For we offer this prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people say, Amen. New to Central? Since 1840, we have been connecting people to God and to one another through scripture, sacrament, song, and service. We are located on the corner of College Avenue and Fulton Street in the Heritage Hill neighborhood of Grand Rapids. We hope you'll give us the opportunity to meet you in person soon. To learn more about our mission, ministries, and the ways you can grow and serve, please visit our website at www.centralreformedchurch.org.